Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Hello, and welcome to another episode of You Love to See It. A very special episode, in fact, as I'm joined today by not only my two friends, Eric Zhu and Caleb Brunman, but we have two guests, Sam and Nick. Sam, would you like to start by introducing yourself? Hey, guys, I'm Sam. I'm a junior at WashU in St. Louis, a film major over there. Uh, close friend of Eric's from high school. Uh, we've been kind of going on similar film journeys. I'm excited to be here. All right. And Nick? Yeah, I'm Nick, a close friend of Caleb's from high school. Um, I love the way you just said we're going on similar film journeys because I feel like Caleb and I have been on a film journey together for a long time. Um, but yeah, I'm a film student as well. I go to SCAD Atlanta um, and uh, I like to write and direct things. So... That's awesome. You know, I'm actually curious. I was thinking how similar, I guess we'll find out a little bit today, how similar Sam and Eric's taste in movies are and how similar Caleb and Nick's taste in movies are. And I'm, I'm, I'm I think to Caleb see. and I have some very different, different, <laughs> very, <Yeah>. different <laughs> very different, very different. Under the silver lake. Under the silver lake. This guy is like a Lynch hater. Oh my God. I know. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Don't even I started, started last episode. That. By talking about Twin Peaks, and you would not believe the comment he gave oh afterwards. I, I do. Yo, remember Twin that. Peaks miniseries like that is Matt, like the best thing Mind I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe this I brought these crazy. people together. <laughs> no, this is going to be the huge group. mistake. <laughs> oh, we should have done it sooner. All right. Well, today's episode is actually going to be our last of 2020, and it is the same as we did a year ago. It is going to be our top 10 list of 2020, but instead of having a composite of just me, Eric, and Caleb, we are also adding in Nick and Sam. So it'll be an uh, interesting list. Uh, the only criteria we had, just to make it sure things were a little smoother, was that at least three of the five of us had seen the movie. So uh, that's why before we get into our top 10, we're going to talk about just some notable mentions, just, you know, movies people want to talk about, at least for a little bit. You know, they feel like they need to justify their rankings in some way or, uh, you know, that they're going to die if they don't get a word in about the movie. So, yeah, let's just start with that uh, before we get into our top 10. Um, I'm going to start with Eric. Uh, Eric, you want to kick us off with some notable mentions. What movie do you feel like needs to be talked about when people talk um, about I think it's pretty hard to talk about 2020 without talking about Steve McQueen's Small Axe. Um, that's his Amazon Prime series of five movies um, that all came out this year about uh, the West Indian community in London. And they all... So amazing how he did five They're films. They're amazing. I, like... I wonder if they were all shot at the same time. But um, how, yeah, there are five of them. They're, the first one, Mangrove, is feature length. It's two hours. Lover's Rock, 70 minutes. Red, White, and Blue is 80 minutes. Those three did the festival circuit. Wow. And then he has two more, Alex Weedle and um, Education. Education, yeah. Yeah. Those were each um, more, right? 
Yeah, Alex Weedle and Education are both like an hour. But yeah, they're, it's one of those big like European like, f- is it film, is it TV sort of deals where like the collective is greater than each individual film and they're all very meticulously directed. And I mm-hmm. think above like, ab- like above just like depicting this sort of history of systemic racism, they also really, really highlight the vibrancy of uh, the West Indian community. Um, and yeah, I think they're really major. They're one of the big events of the year. My favorite is Lover's Rock, um, which has this amazing acapella scene, like right dab in the middle that I revisit all the time. Um, just came out like the, the other week, man. <laughs> no, I gotta say no, Lover's Rock is, is yeah. I've only seen the first two, Mangrove and Lover's Rock. and. Um, Lover's Rock is just the perfect uh, slice of life kind of film yeah. where uh, it's just, you know, a house party and the soundtrack is all this reggae and um, yeah, it, it's just people smoking weed and chilling out and just <laughs> literally hanging. And yeah, that, that yeah. one, um, I got to watch the other three, but um, yeah, I love Lover's Rock. Education yeah. is really good. I'm not as big of a fan of Alex Weedle. Um, I, guess they're, I guess what's cool about them is that they're all so different to like... Mm-hmm. Um, Mangrove is like a courtroom drama, very much like yeah. a companion to Chicago Seven. Not like a oh, companion, but yeah. totally. definitely a counterpart I, to I Chicago Seven. That, that yeah. I mm-hmm. I enjoyed more. Um, uh, you enjoyed Rock, Mangrove yes. more than uh, Chicago Seven. Yeah, yeah, wow. slightly. I'm still not a huge fan of. I, I like I, I like both, hair. but I'm not a. But uh, yeah, Lovers Rock is yeah like a slice of life, sort of just like a party. It reminded me a lot of like Claire Denis. Or of mm. like, like I I saw I heard someone mention a little Richard Wong Linklater. Wat. I don't know. Yeah, Richard. Yeah, but. yeah. I totally see what you're saying. Um, mm. Red, white, and blue is like this police character study of John Boyega mm. who wants to um, like change like police reform from the inside, and you can probably guess how that goes. Um, and yeah, Alex Weedle is a biopic, and Education is sort of this uh, true story of this. Uh, this West Indian child who um, gets placed into this quote-unquote school for students with subnormal intelligence or something like that and it's about um, systemic oppression in the education system and I heard that's his most personal the last one too I I haven't seen it yet but yeah I think it's the most tender I I but it's also partially because it's based off of it uh, but like the main character is a child but yes yes um, yeah, other things that I wish I'd gotten in, The Nest, which I absolutely love, sort of like a horror, it's shot like a horror movie, but it's this, um, plot-wise, it's completely this, um, marriage, this marriage, this crumbly marriage drama, um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's incredible, and also Wolf Walkers, great animated movie, and, uh, Vinterberg's Another Round, which has, uh, a great Mads Mikkelsen performance, and, a Great, another great Claire Denis inspired ending. I'll be honest, I'm very behind in 2020, and uh, I've literally seen none of those movies. That's going to be a common theme tonight: is how no, many movies don't has have Zach to watch the next. not seen? I, I've oh heard that God, you're not a big fan so of it. No, no, I heard it's really good, man. <laughs> well, I heard that too, and then <laughs> and then I saw that two and a half star rating. <laughs> not to spoil for anyone. Hey, two and a half's not bad for Caleb. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> would you agree with that caleb a soft two and a half all right um i guess i'll say i i only have two movies that are not 
again, my short my list is short for 2020. Um, you already mentioned Trial of Chicago 7. I mean, originally was my favorite movie of 2020 when I first saw it. What uh, happened? <laughs> what happened is Zach loves things so much when he first sees them. And then he lets time go by and he realizes what a fool he was. Uh, no, it's a great film. I, I love it. It's, I mean, I love courtroom dramas. Anything that has to do with the courtroom is instantly my favorite. And Aaron Sorkin is, you know, the love of my life. So, I mean, it, it worked out. Uh, I think I did lower it, Caleb, as you said earlier. But it's still a great movie. I don't know where the it is. A whole star. A whole star. It definitely surprised me. Yeah. I'm not the it's, biggest courtroom I, drama guy, but I, I yeah, was really same. entertained by uh, Chicago yeah. 7. It was, I mean, we I love Dr. Mary Kelly I heard it had some pretty incredible acting performances. I want Sacha yeah. to get something. I want a nom. Yeah, yeah. I want so a nom. Good. You know what's funny is this year, I feel like every time I read a movie from 2020, I look at David Ehrlich's rating and I like him usually right <laughs> in line with him. But then I look at Trial of Chicago 7 and he has it at a one and a half star. And I'm like, uh, to wow. quote, it's an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know he's not a fan. Um, the only other movie. Is I don't even know how many uh, if Sam or Nick has seen it. Um, it came out very early 2020, and I know Eric and Caleb are not a fan, but that it is actually ended on my list at number six, and that's never rarely some never rare rare <laughs> rarely sometimes always. Um, and I actually really love that movie. I know Eric and Caleb were not fans, um, but it was uh, actually one I feel of my like favorite. Like a heathen, movies. and um, why, why do you feel like a heathen? Because it's like one of the most acclaimed movies of the year. It, it's I can uh, understand why you don't like it. Right so right. You don't have to fall right in line. So. Yeah, um, that's fine. I don't yeah, fall in line it's... with some of the ones you liked, you know, <clears throat> or some of the acclaimed movies of the year. I just loved the film, and it felt very real, felt very emotional, very raw, and that's why. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit before, I think, on a previous podcast. But Sam, you've Zach, seen it. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Okay, that's good, good to know. That's good to know. Um, um, yeah, the, the title I, sequence, the like, not the title sequence, the sequence from which the title comes from is very good. Absolutely. Very good. I, I mean, that's, that's very Never, true. rarely, sometimes, always. You said it way better than I did, and uh, I'm supposed to be a podcast <laughs> host, so. Um, I, mean, I also always think job. of that imagery where um, I think it's the cousin is making out with the guy, that the creepy guy that's been following them, mm-hmm. and I think exploiting yeah. them, and then um like behind the um oh, i don't know where they are but they're on a pillar and they like hold hands behind the pillar as she's yeah. um like in a way like sacrificing herself to help um the main character get um the resources she like needs money, to get right? her abortion yeah that's that's a that one slipped I, the, by me i i really like lo- it sounds like i'd love it though have you seen four yeah. months, three weeks, two days? No. It's, um, it's like an American version. It's like an American indie version of that. A bit. And it's a great I haven't seen that's, either. That's but. what I'll say. <laughs> I'll watch whatever. All right. Very good. <laughs> Sam, do you have any notable mentions of 2020 that didn't make it into our top 10? I do. Uh, first of all, Borat 2. Um, Very nice. Just had to get it in there. Yeah, actually, man. Great film. <laughs> Actually, uh, I'd like to shout out um, Soul. I watched that on Christmas. Uh, mm. Beautiful Pixar movie, especially compared with their earlier release, Onward, which was terrible. Um, this is very, very nice. You know, one of their philosophical, like inside out type 
films. I feel like Soul's um, one of their best looking movies too. It looks amazing. Oh, yeah. There's also some pretty clear La La Land references. That's, I was going to say, I heard suit. it's like La La Land animated, Caleb. Oh, oh, my. <laughs> oh no, it's wool. <laughs> wow, okay. Except instead of Emma Stone, it's a cat, so. Oh, um, yeah. Obvious downgrade. <laughs> uh, I'd like to shout out Boy State just for being something kind of novel and interesting. Very I didn't good. think it was yeah, it so hype quite a ton, but I did think it was quite good. Uh, Birds of Prey for, I think, being one of the only, if not the only, truly feminine superhero movies. Um, despite not being enjoyed, uh, it was it was certainly at least a breath of fresh air. Did you see uh, Wonder Woman yet? I did, and I liked it. More <laughs> so, yeah, so that was a clear too. knock to Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did think I did think this Wonder Woman was way better in that regard than the first one. But I okay. wait, really? You, wait, 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 wait. I have to ask this now. So wait, do you think this Wonder Wonder Woman movie is better than the first overall? Uh, in certain aspects, uh, I think. Okay. It's pretty clear that Zack Snyder was lost because the story is like slightly worse. Obviously, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I but think Wonder the Woman goes better. from kind of like a ditzy idiot to like an actual badass superhero, like feminine character. That's fair. So, That's fair. I will defend yeah. Snyder to the day I die. <laughs> I gotta say, like he can direct a superhero movie that like no one else can. Okay, like the no, visuals, the yeah, visuals that. in his film, but the, the okay, the story, you got me there. But yeah. the visuals are are what where it's at yeah yeah i was a fan uh, and, of, of the second wonder woman as well or i mean good yeah but yeah i do not I like understand the, the twitter part. hate. Yeah. the twitter hate yeah people are really good. going off on it i was surprised at how how yeah. much backlash it got all of a sudden like it had like a 3.4 on letterbox and i went to bed and then i woke like up at like 2.7 i was like oh <laughs> Yeah. That way, like, man. People, people are like actively like counting down the Rotten Tomato score on Twitter. Yeah. I, I, I honestly <laughs> think I think it's because I think if people did see it in theaters, and I think if it only had a theatrical release, it would have actually gotten like a better better reviews. And, yeah, um, the I think it's just like a theater would, movie would have played yeah. better. Yeah. CGI was garbage in it too. Not gonna yeah, lie. of course. It, yeah, it's a DC oh movie. God. Like they just the, can't figure it out. Oh my, when when she turned into the cat, I couldn't. <laughs> oh yeah, that was. So oh hard. my God. Was that a Kristen Wig turns into a like a cheetah midway through the like at the end of the movie. Um, I don't think I it think was. She's a just like a. Like, is she a, like is she a, a real comic book, book character? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Max Lord is. I don't know if uh, like Pedro Pascal's character, but I don't know. He if was Kristen Wiig is. Yeah, I love him. I loved him. Just like his eyes are like, we're so bloodshot by the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one Sam, more any other? Okay. before we move on. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen this, but for my, I took this contemporary women director's class at WashU, and the final film we watched that was called The 40 Year Old Virgin, which isn't The 40 Year Old Virgin. Oh. <laughs> it's the Corral movie. Uh, Virgin, B E R S I O N. It's on Netflix. And it's Radha Blank is the director, writer, and star. And I think it's a film about how she, as an aspiring playwright, is kind of held back by white producers who kind of want to pigeonhole black stories into something that are like all about just how they're oppressed and like sad and put down and she's like I just kind of want to express myself the way I want to and so she starts her own like rap career as a 40 year old you know black woman. I've been meaning to get to um, it but I heard there's a lot of really funny like fake like fake songs or plays in it is that true yeah yeah, and, yeah. it's um, the, the, there's one like main rap right at the midpoint that's really good um but yeah I just think in this like in this climate where we're like 
obviously we're still dealing with like systemic racism, but also where it's becoming more commercially viable to have stories about systemic racism, I think is a very interesting take on how white people want to profit off of like black stories and like the black, how we should let black creators kind of define their own black experience instead of, you know, pigeonholing it to what we want to, what we think mm -hmm. makes money. So yeah, give that a look. It's on Netflix. Sounds good. Actually, I'm I'm very intrigued by you. Maybe it was just your explanation too, Sam. But uh, thank you. Either way, uh, I was intrigued by it. All right, Caleb. What about you? Any notable mentions or? Just got one. Uh, one. Because I I don't think we allowed this to to qualify, but uh, I don't think we can discuss 2020 movies without bringing up Hamilton, uh, a very worthy uh, screen. I want to say adaptation, uh, screen portrayal of the revolutionary Broadway musical. Um, it it takes all the, not just takes it. It really highlights the the best parts of the show, uh, the lyrics and the performances, namely, and uh, does a great job staying true to to its source, which is great enough. Uh, on its own uh, to make for me the best movie of 2020. I did know that it was your number one. And uh, then, then Eric and I said, no, we're not allowing it. <laughs> that wasn't the reason. That wasn't the reason. Like screen adaptations of plays. Um, um, David Byrne had his this year. Yeah, a lot of like um, uh, documentary kind of. Uh, I know, um, what's the director of, um, can you ever forgive me? She had one that came out this year too. Um, oh, she's married to Yorma from the Lonely Island. She is she that. actually? Yeah. That's a power couple. Oh my, that's, that's a power couple. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, but I think that. it's called What the Constitution Means to Me, and I think it's all supposed to be pretty good. I saw that uh, in the in in like in a theater, like a stage, like a stage performance. Wait, you mean like theater. a movie theater? <laughs> Do those still exist? No. But oh, back, like an actual back, stage theater. Yeah, wow. back back when when theaters were open, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> For a yeah, thing. I saw a staged performance, and it was it was very good. Wow, might be the only one you see for a long time. Marielle Heller, <laughs> that's her name. <laughs> I I don't know how I blanked on that. Yeah, I blanked on it too. So. All right, Nick, you're gonna okay. round us out these yep. notable so, seven movies. For me, 2020 was the year of um, you know the music docs and. Uh, horror films and then middle road thrillers. Um, so my uh, my favorite film of the year was the Beastie Boys story. Um, I'm a little bit biased because I freaking love the Beastie Boys, but Spike <laughs> Jones does a fantastic job of um, framing their story and the way they um, the way they do it is just you know uh, they just two of the Beastie Boys just talk about. Um, their history and their career and how they got a lot of their influences. And there's so many great little tidbits of information. I could not recommend it enough to, even if you're not even familiar with any of their music. Um, and then uh, another doc that I watched the other day, the Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, um, just came out on HBO Max and it's pretty exceptional too. Frank Marshall, who, you know, produced um, Raiders and a, a lot of Spielberg movies. He directed this one and uh, he does a great job, kind of talks about the death of disco um, and how Bee Gees got associated with 
playing disco music, even though they weren't really a disco band and how that kind of killed their career. Um, that whole like, you know, blowing up at the baseball park. I don't know if you guys know about that. Um, but there was like a day where they marked the end of disco. Um, it's going to be really then, embarrassing. Uh, I don't think I've listened to a Fiji song before. You definitely have. Like, you, you <laughs> did they do Staying Alive? Did they do Staying Alive? Yeah. Is that, yeah. They did, okay. Like, listen to one. Huh? Five Eric songs from the Saturday Night Live. Boys, um, until I played him. Uh, shoot, I forget which one I played. It was one of their more popular ones. Was it off uh, that I, first I, album, the like uh, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, or like I think so, Fight yeah, for I Your was, Right, or Yeah, yeah, uh, it was it was yeah. a good sampling, and I I played it to him as we were walking. They they the really lights. sample some insane. They, <laughs> off the album um, uh, Paul's Boutique, they sample in one song they sham they sample the Jaws and Psycho soundtrack, and it's really? pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as as I was playing it to him, he made me stop. That's <laughs> so. not my thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, they wow, sample a, a, a soundtrack from Deliverance off of this. They they really have exquisite film taste, I gotta say. Um, and I uh, I also love Bill and Ted's Face the Music. Uh, I huge Bill and Ted fan, and the third one. Sixty nine, like, dude. Yeah, perfectly. It it you can't. I don't know why Tenant is not on your top ten list, you guys. Like, <laughs> it is technically the most impressive thing I have seen in a long time. Um, I was, I was just, I maybe, okay. I definitely had the luxury of, of seeing it in a theater. Um, I wish I'm jealous. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I watched it at home. That was, it definitely, I could see how it would really just, you know, lower your enjoyment on it. But I think it was like, I, I, I bet in a theater, a lot of the, like, a lot of the set pieces looked nicer because mm -hmm. I didn't think like they have that. I don't, I, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but they have that one sequence that plays twice, once yeah. forwards, once backwards. And I, like, I didn't, the first time, the first time through when you know it's, like, sort of weird, but yeah. you don't exactly know why. It didn't, it didn't, like, nothing until, like, the third act really started playing as mm -hmm. a huge, huge set piece to me. I also really? just, I, I, I was just, wanted more Rob. the opening scene for me, I was, on, I was, I already knew. Like, oh, the, the opening great. The tuning opening of the instruments great. and, like, that stuff. I, but, Nick, what? The scariest part of the movie is when they step on the cello. Oh, my God, I could, I <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what did you give Tenant? Uh, just a four star. The only movie I've given four oh. and a half this year is BC Boy Story. Okay, uh, it's, it hasn't I... been the best year, yeah, honestly. E even though there's there's still definitely quality movies out there. Uh, I also want to shout out. Um, you guys are gonna look at me like I'm insane. This film called The Empty Man, um, and it it came out. It was uh, a part of. Like it's a Fox film and it, it kind of got brushed under the rug um, by the Fox Disney merger. But um, this was, this is just like a, a totally unexpected horror kind of thriller came out of nowhere. Um, a little bit of David Fincher-esque, um, but there's a, it's long as hell too. It's like two hours and 15 minutes um, for like a horror movie. And you're like, what, yeah. why does it need to be that long? But there's like this like, like 22 minute prologue sequence in like the Himalayas, and it's honestly spooky as shit. Um, another good horror movie I thought was good. A lot of people don't agree with me. Uh, Gretel and Hansel uh, came out earlier this year. Um, some cool. Did you use like of Relic? Four three. No, Relic. I did not like no. Relic. Yeah, Relic was. I was not big on it. Um, let's see what else. What about uh, a, color, the color You actually. Good. So wait, you recommend Gretel and Hansel? 
Yeah, I actually do. I think it's, right. it's pretty, Maybe I'll I mean, it you shot. know, you kind of got to go into it with, with a, a mindset, but um, it's shot really interestingly. And uh, there's some cool like effects and, and you know, some good uh, scares there. The opening kind of reminds me of like um, something from like the seventies or uh, kind of like one of those horror films. And, and um, I feel like there was one more thing. Oh, um, I was also going to mention uh, Kajillionaire and On the Rocks. Um, both good films as well. Uh, I saw Caleb's face on that second one. Whoa, on the rocks? Not a, I thought you were the Sofia Coppola man, no? I, it, pain, it pained me to, to watch a Sofia Coppola-Bill Murray collaboration that was so uh, empty and bad. <laughs> empty and bad wow okay it, it, yeah it was yeah I, I i think she she's she's so known for being so uh, authentic and natural mm-hmm. and then i think the dialogue in this was like what a mm-hmm. writer who doesn't like understand authentic dialogue comes up mm-hmm. with which is just it shocked me but yeah. that's just how i felt sadly I mean, I think your your point's valid. I I was really touched by the whole um, father daughter relationship, sure, and sure. I loved. Um, I just also was kind of a fan of, or I am also a fan of when directors like kind of know that their movie is not going to be their best movie, and they like know the limitations for themselves. And I feel like Sofia Coppola with On the Rocks, she was kind of like, you know, this is just my kind of hangout movie, um, and I'm just going to put it out there. I I was I was really. Um, just, I, I, it was a good feeling for me. Um, and then totally under control. Uh, that was a, one more thing I was going to mention, the documentary on COVID. That's the that's, neon doc, right? Yeah, that the neon produced and it's currently on Hulu. Um, it's a great doc. Uh, I watched it actually while I had COVID. Um, oh oh my God. That, that's <laughs> I don't know about that. I watched it while I had COVID and it was on Halloween too. So it was like a really... Wow, you really went all the way with that. I got to say, it's really insightful and it's um, super relevant. I mean, I don't need to say why. You don't. All right. Well, I think it's about time. We uh, we break out into our top 10 uh, composite list of uh, 2020. Nick, would you like to start us off? Uh, yes. So at number 10, we have uh, Palm Springs. Um, so Palm Springs was uh, kind of a twist on the Groundhog Day plot where Andy Samberg is stuck um, reliving this wedding over and over again the same day. Uh, and he pulls this unsuspecting uh, wedding guest kind of down this um, Groundhog Day um, rabbit hole, I guess, with him, and um, they, they, you know, there's a little bit of a romance there. It's, it's pretty sweet, um, and some really interesting, um, kind of out of left field moments. That, um, like, there's this scene where, um, am I allowed to talk about spoilers? Or yeah, oh, of course, uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I was. I know there's there's like this dinosaur scene at like in the, the middle of the movie and uh like it's really just kind of it, it comes out of nowhere but like I, I i really i really was touched by it uh i don't really know how to explain it but um yeah the humor is is hilarious i'd say it's probably um yeah i'd say it's probably the funniest movie of the year 
Uh, not like that's saying too much, but. I was scared he was going to say funniest, uh, funniest Andy Samberg movie. Oh, Whoa. no way. <laughs> I know we have some pops. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. See, the funniest Andy Samberg movie is Hot Rod. No, I knew you were going to say that. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think, um, I think cool. Palm Springs is a, is a nice movie to round out our mm-hmm. uh, top 10 because it's just, one, it's such a feel-good movie in some ways, uh, but also just such a... Uh, also existential movie in other ways and you know there's a lot of movies that have tried the groundhog day formula and have either found some success with it or have completely you know dropped the ball when trying to recreate it and i think Mm -hmm. this one makes it work in a very interesting way and it's just very small tweaks the way they have the world set up and how much you really know about it all and the fact that you Mm -hmm. don't know that much at the end um it, it's good i love it i, I remember watching I, it on, i agree on i like the setup a lot um yeah like how they bring you into the world kind of without um like mm-hmm. or andy stanberg is physically bringing us the audience into the world i yeah, thought that absolutely. was really cool um and like I you also, never I find think, out how he got into the into no the movie, exactly which, which is <laughs> nice I think we need to mention I love J.K. J.K. Simmons. Simmons. Yeah. Uh, J.K. Simmons, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is ruthless. I didn't even recognize that it was him the first, like the first, his first appearance, you know, we've got all that makeup on. Yeah. I was like, that voice sounds so familiar. <laughs> Who is that? But yeah, he's fantastic. Can it's just a great movie, like, honestly. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's the perfect quarantine movie. It's a perfect movie to watch at the height of quarantine because it just mm-hmm. like encapsulates that feeling of being stuck and not being able to like escape like the, and just to, like the feeling that time isn't moving at all. Like that's just the perfect quarantine kind of feeling. Honestly, you know, if I was there was like, a movie to define 2020, it could be Palm Springs. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised, like speaking of quarantine movies, I feel like a lot of movies that came out this year, like came out, like had some great timing with quarantine. Like Palm Springs is one of them. I thought like Lover's Rock playing during quarantine definitely added to... Um, definitely added to it i i don't know I, I i don't know if that's a normal thing like if this had just happened in a normal year but i feel like there have been a lot of just like stuck at home movies this mm-hmm. year yeah songbird playing during yeah. okay. at the height yeah. of the, yeah. uh, the civil rights the five bloods yeah yeah a lot, a lot of just clicked together but yeah i i think you know palm springs that definitely fits in the in, in the category of best quarantine movies and uh mm-hmm. I, I think there's no better movie to round out what also will probably be not many other comedies in our top 10. Actually, in fact, very few comedies in our top 10. Um, no but, Bill and Ted love? Come on. You yeah, no, sorry, man. <laughs> I didn't right. see it. That's the thing. I need to see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll just be say about uh, Palm Springs. It's, it's, a, it's a nice variant of, of the, the Groundhog Day experience. But if you are looking for a good discount Groundhog Day because there is no replacement. I know what you're going to say. The one to go for to lift your spirits immeasurably oh is Happy gosh. Death Day. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> to you. To you. <laughs> I haven't seen To You. I've, I dis- I've disappointed myself in not seeing To You, but the original Happy Death Day is, is quite fun. All right. Well, number 10 is done. Number nine, Nick, you're up again. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we got Mank at number nine. Um, Mank is about screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz, the screenwriter of 
the greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane. Um, and it, it, the portrayal is by Gary Oldman, who I would say does a pretty amazing job. Um, and it also co-stars Seafried and Lily Collins. Um, and this this directed by David Fincher, but I, I think it's really interesting that his father, Jack Fincher, also wrote the screenplay. Um, and his father has passed away um, now. And I, I don't know. I, I definitely, um, I don't know why Fincher would want to make a, this movie aside from the fact that like it's his dad's screenplay and like Citizen Kane obviously is great. But for me, this Mank, um, like I, I probably, I'm, I, I don't know how, how you guys felt about it, but I definitely liked it more than most people. Um, but I still felt like Fincher could be better focusing his efforts on something um not more timely but um more conversational uh and um i really like the cinematography i'm a big cinematography buff and um literally if it's shot well i don't like the plot can be <laughs> nonsense and um like I, I, that's that's all right with Amen. me and yeah this is this is shot the black and white is like super crisp um it's it just goes so great i got i think it's my favorite atticus ross um and uh trent reznor score uh i just i'm a big jazz guy too and um i was blown away that that was them on the score like i'm so used to hearing these ambient kind of techno um or electronic beats with them and then they you know give me all this jazz music like this the soundtrack is i think i want to say like 50 tracks or something uh, oh yeah something like yeah i mean they're all like two three minutes but uh, mm -hmm. they really pumped them out you know <laughs> yeah so we did an episode last week was was mank we did a double feature a double fincher feature that's uh try saying that 20 times um but we did double uh, fincher feature <laughs> we did uh seven and mank uh mm. for, in one episode and um i know that of the three of us uh me eric and caleb i was the highest on mank and What's funny is I haven't even seen Citizen Kane, so uh, you oh. know. What, I, I know I, that's that's. Uh, I, I know, um, but I, I loved Mank. It was it was a great film, um, and I, I when you said when you were introducing and you said how uh, amazing uh, Gary Oldman's performance was, I was internally I had that monkey clapping in my head mm -hmm. because I had to have I this argument. Had to have this <laughs> argument last week with Eric and Caleb. He was and fine. I I believe that this was personally better than his Oscar winning performance. Darkest Hour. Um, yes, I, and I'm not oh, trying oh to hate God. on Darkest Hour. No, Darkest, Darkest Hour is, is nowhere near. The, <laughs> thank the you, thank you. Heights of of how he good he was in this. Exactly. And, um, I and always with a Fincher movie too, like. Um, I, I just always notice the editing and how, you know, there's never like a tapped on frame at the end of a shot or um, it's just always, you know, like right to the point, you know, you, you never dilly dallies or anything. Um, but I, I always, yeah, like that aspect to his films a lot. Yeah, I, I was very high on Mank. It definitely was higher than number, number nine on my personal list. And I mean, I was very high on Gary Oldman's performance and mm -hmm. just the overall feeling of that movie. It was just, oh, it was. Yeah, it was, the opening titles nice. are just. Oh, I yeah. love the opening titles. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like that. You know, I, I did find it interesting. 
what you said. Um, I, I don't know if I disagree with you, um, but I will say, and we talked about this last week, um, and we don't need to get into it too much. The uh, We were talking about the part of the movie that feels like David Fincher and then the part of the movie that, that feels more like his father. And, you know, we were talking more about the political aspects that get kind of thrown in that feel a lot like Fincher, um, mm-hmm. David Fincher to be precise. And I don't know. I think, yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, Fincher, you know. What are the, what are the um, odds they have the same name? <laughs> um, but what I will say is, I don't know. I found some of it oddly similar to what was going on in 2016 2020 election wise the political election for um what was it uh Mm. what was his name uh uh who was the guy getting elected Upton Sinclair yes thank you I found a lot of those scenes that they felt very relevant Mm -hmm. um but I can understand that you know maybe there's not a lot of conversation to be had overall about Mank and you know its ideas but I I don't know I, I felt some relevancy in, in especially yeah. the political but yeah, talk about gary oldman we got to talk about amanda seyfried i don't know if i said yeah, her name. She, yeah. she's so good i like her I said it she's so times. good there, there's no. that one scene where the she's like you know burning at the stake or whatever and they're like talking <laughs> uh, i think that like the way that shot and just with her clouds in the background um yeah it just had left me like stunned but she, she's, she's yeah. amazing in it too. I agree with Eric and Caleb that she stole this, whatever she, scene she was in, she was the best. Yeah. You know, like she stole yeah. the scene. But I still think Gary Oldman's performance is the best performance in in the movie. And, you know, maybe that that's because the, I'm biased because I like Gary Oldman and also, you know, he's the, you know, main character. But I, I still, I don't know. I got to show some respect to my man, Gary. That's all I got to mm-hmm. say. Darius yeah, Black. I got to say that, I, I mentioned this briefly at the end of last week, but I, I didn't think she was that great either. Um, I, I thought she was, she just did a little too much, uh, a little over the top, but I think my biggest concern is that her performance was very effortful, meaning that I think that you could really see her acting, which in uh, the greatest performances, I, I think you can't see. It reminded me uh, a little of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where you had uh, Adele, uh, sorry if I butchered these, uh, Adele Hanel playing Eloise, and I thought she was remarkable. And then you had uh, Noemi Merlant, excuse me again, uh, playing Marianne and while she was very good I think in that performance too you could really see the gears turning and see her performing while uh, Adele was more just natural and yeah I think synonymous with her character good performances from from Amanda and Noemi but Mm -hmm. there was just that one gear I think that that didn't turn to to make you feel like they were I didn't think there was anything negative to be said about Portrait of a Lady on Fire and the yeah, existence come on. of humanity. Yeah, that was bold. That but, was bold. <laughs> but uh, I will say, um, I think there is a defense that can be made. Um, I, I, I personally was a fan of how um, Amanda Seyfried kind of fit into that role of like, um, you know, like how you said that you can see her performing. And um, I think that reflects her as an actress in the film. Um, and f- like that's that, that was kind of why I also have a thing for blondes, but 
Uh, that was kind of why it, it moved me in a way. Um, you know, you could you could see her like acting, um, and you I don't know, like you know, she was acting as an actress. Um, so I think there's a lot of different. Um, I think it was all intentional, kind of her, um, you know, approach uh, to to have it, you know, to see her gears turning in a way. I mean, I think in the case of. I was gonna say not only as an actress, but also just like her role as like, just like a model woman, right? Like she was mm -hmm. supposed to be like, she's supposed to fit so many like gender norms as well. Like she definitely had a lot of expectations thrust in her. Yeah. And I thought that kind of fit into her like, I have to play a certain role, you know? Mm, um, I agree. I yeah, I think her position is also the one that's the strangest, like in the movie and to defend Marianne, I think Marianne, in virtue of the situation she's placed in by being employed has to smolder more. Whereas Adele Hanel, her character really has like nothing to lose at this point. She can, she can like afford to be as natural as she is. But I think in the term of Amanda Seyfried and Marion Davies, whose career I think was like pretty much ruined by Citizen Kane. Um, I mean, she's, she's this friend to Gary Oldman, but she is also, she, I mean, she's like essentially the middle, the middle person between, um, Mankiewicz and um, William Randolph Hearst. And I think just that by virtue of like social pressures that Sam said and just her tenuous position as this moment between these two people who are going at it, she she just has these gears turning and I, th I think it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, And she's it, still charismatic. Intellectually, I, I understand it and I agree. Uh, I just, I never- hey, it's all personal, man. Yeah. I, I know what you mean, yeah. I, like, I, it, it works for mm -hmm. some people, but. Yeah, I just never felt like it was Davies putting on the show. It really felt mm. like Seyfried, whereas in something mm. like I mentioned last week, Sunset Boulevard, I felt like it was Gloria Swanson putting on a show as Norma Desmond. It was really mm. felt like Desmond putting on that show. And I think both are intentional, but uh, I think Swanson and Sunset Boulevard, just as an example, executes that intentionality more seamlessly. I just watched that for the first time. Um like last November uh, and I got to see it in 35 millimeter in Atlanta and it was just like blew me away. Yeah, whipping it, out the millimeters so here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's been a while since you heard something projected on film, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to number eight, Sam. Would you like to uh, introduce us to our number eight film? All right. And I'd just like to say, I think I may have single-handedly dragged this film into the top 10. Um, <laughs> no, you did like this movie a lot, too. I think huh? you you. It was the three the three of us all Nick the three of us yeah. all sort of brought it up. Yeah, we all like it. We, I, I, yeah, sounded, I mean, yeah. Eric, where'd you put it? Like twenty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, put <it> number three. <laughs> I put it at number three. Um, the Sound of Metal. Um, I think it's a movie. Uh, spoiler alert for Act One, where this drummer who's in a two two person band with his girlfriend um, who sort of, he's a recovering addict who sort of finds relief in his music playing. And pretty quickly in the movie, he suddenly loses his hearing. Uh, it is certainly not a gradual process. Um, and the rest of the movie is him sort of coming to grips with that and how that affects his music playing, his his addiction, his relationship with his girlfriend, um, and just sort of the people he meets and the people that shape him as he moves along. I will say the strength of this movie is certainly not necessarily in its direction. It's pretty simple. 
uh, cinematography and all that is pretty simple. But um, it's writing and certainly it's performances. Riz Ahmed is Ruben. Olivia mm-hmm. Cook is Lou. Um, Paul, I don't know how to pronounce his last one. It's Paul Racy. Racy. Was he the guy, and the Joe. counselor, or the? Yeah, yeah I yeah, think the he's the leader of the, um, the AA group, or the oh, the yeah. deaf group. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. They all just put in incredible performances, um, and it's certainly one of the, I think, the best character-driven films. Mm-hmm. I I don't disagree. I love the title too. Um, mm-hmm. Sound of metal yeah. like can mean so many different things. Uh, and the sound design, uh, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. with a with a title like that, you have to have <laughs> some yeah. amazing sound design, and <laughs> definitely follow through on that promise. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a great movie, also just about deafness and about how, like, uh, like in the deaf community, like, I, I think just about the deaf community. I think it's very rarely that we see a movie that can truly treat deafness not as a disability. And this movie is sort mm-hmm. of about um, Riz Ahmed's character, Ruben, like changing his mindset towards that. Um, I think aside from Riz Ahmed, a lot of the actors in the film are also actually deaf actors. And I think seeing that portrayal and seeing that um, mindset shift is not only revolutionary, but also really moving, especially that last, that very last, um, that very last scene. Yeah. I think Olivia I mean, Cook also- is so good too. Um, I, I I don't know. I I haven't seen her in something in a while, or it feels like I haven't. Um, but yeah, like Thoroughbreds and Me Are All in the Dying Girl. Um, I'm a huge fan of of her in those, and I think this is her best performance yet, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think more obviously, it's it's uh, a film about grief. Um, I think you can see Riz Ahmed pretty clearly going through all the you know the classic stages of grief. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes the final scene so powerful is it feels like it's not sudden. It feels like a natural progression to that point. Um, and it's just, it's sort of touching and sort of saddening to like have to watch him go through that entire process. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene where he's getting the hearing test is yeah. really yeah. It's so hard just watching him like yeah. struggle to accept it and just, you know, be like, well, I can, yeah. I can fix it and, you know, I can, I can make it better, but no yeah that's also why i liked um how like when i read the the synopsis before i dove in uh, i expected to be a very gradual like first half is him slowly losing his hearing second half is him coming to terms with it but i think having him very suddenly and impactfully losing his hearing all in one go um really kind of set off that catalyst in a way where a more gradual like where he comes to terms with it as he's losing his hearing sort of thing wouldn't have Mm -hmm. Um, like the fact that he had to play a show like basically fully deaf is yeah yeah. I, I, he better get some recognition uh, for one season like, I, I'll write yeah <laughs> I, I hope yeah I really hope he gets an Oscar nom he should win he should he win to. honestly well my, Chadwick's my gonna eyes, win but... Chadwick's gonna win oh true yeah yeah he's for, really good uh, about Rainey Defy Bloods you think for Ma Rainey he's oh for really Ma good Rainey movie, okay. yeah All right. I was talking about this with Sam, but I think we could get a majority person of color um, best actor pool this year if we get if we get Wait, Riz, really? we get Chadwick, we get some Delroy Lindo in there, Stephen Yun. Like if the cards play correctly, we could get that. I don't know, someone from One Night happen, in Miami. But... It won't maybe, happen. Maybe Mel think... Gibson from Fat Man. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> No, yeah, 
<laughs> that was all right. We ready to move to number seven? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Number seven uh, is a, a personal favorite of mine. Uh, it is a Cronenberg film, but, but not the OG Cronenberg, um, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, film, Possessor, um, which is, uh, revolves around this world in which these corporations, I guess, and I guess it's just one corporation. I, I'm sure there's more or whatever, uh, that can, uh, that basically uh, assassinate targets, uh, but do so through this sci-fi technology that allows them to use these brain implant technology to transfer uh, the assassin's mind into the target's mind or someone similar to them uh, or to another person and basically uh, allow them to assassinate the target without, uh, you know, making it look more natural. That was probably the worst explanation for this. I, I saw the movie and I do um, not know anything that you just did. <laughs> 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 that was probably a butchering of uh, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, film. But uh, I don't think it was your synopsis. butchering. I think it was just the film. Uh, no, don't say that. Don't say that. It's a confusing I will say, movie. It's I, I'm not hating it. I'm not hating on it, okay? <laughs> I love films where I just don't understand what the fuck goes on. Um, yeah, if we're going to get into David Possessor, Lynch. talking about, yeah. Well, I know, I, I definitely have understood Lynch, you know, seeing a lot of his films. You kind of get where he's going. But uh, Possessor, I loved the um, the sequences of, like, the the skin melting off. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. like the, absolutely. Like, that was that was probably some of my and just how much everyone vapes too is kind of funny. <laughs> I know, right? It's it's it, you know it's in like every other scene, and you're. I always ask myself, I'm like, why is this in the movie? Like, no, I, I, I gotta know, say though, like, there. I mean, it's a thing people do. Like, no, it should I mean, be more you know, common in movies and vape yeah. representation. Yeah, it, it fits. <laughs> yeah. It fits the, the vibe. The That's what I will say. <laughs> I, I think that the 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 vibe has this really like this really like. I don't even know this. It has such an interesting atmosphere. Canadian, is what I will say. Canadian. <laughs> it does. It does. It, it does feel Canadian. It does actually. Um, I will say. I don't know. It's. It's. I think this end ends up on my list in the top three. I honestly don't have my list in front of me right now. Yeah. But it. It's just such an amazing film, and I mean, you can tell he took a a page from his father's book in terms of the body horror and just the sen- sensation you get watching a Cronenberg film. But I mean, for his second, you know, feature film, it's, I think it's amazing, you know, is, is there a lot there, maybe too much, you know, I think that's, you know, a possibility there's, there's a lot to unpack. And maybe I think one criticism of the film is that it doesn't address all the things that it wants to, or it wants to put out there. And either way, I think the film leaves you utterly shocked and mortified in a lot of, uh, a lot of occasions. And Mm -hmm. what more could you want from, you know, a sci-fi horror movie than, than that? I mean, it, there's not much more. There's some really chilling moments for sure. (laughs) Coherent. I think it works just on like its own as like an atmospheric study. Like it looks and feels amazing. It's sort of just like as gory as it is, it's sort of just, flows it, it flows really nicely I, I, I actually would say yes. it like it flows pretty well but 
I mean, I saw it, you know, a little bit ago, so I may be a little hazy, mm-hmm. but I think that that whole, you know, title poster scene where it's like putting the face on top mm-hmm. of the face, I thought that was honestly not like, like just, I don't even know why I was in there <laughs> other than to serve the poster, but. Oh, you didn't like oh, that? Yeah. See, I, we talked about this on the pod when we did the episode. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed that scene. And that's, I, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just in love with the movie a little bit yeah. too much. But uh, I, I think that this whole idea of like the both of them melding into one and like finally like just I don't know I, I don't know what, maybe what the purpose of it in a, in a plot driven sense was but it, it looked freaking mm-hmm. awesome. It definitely yeah, it's, it's an effective say. visual. It's a great look. It's it it really look. is. I have never yeah. been as unsettled as I have watching that movie and seeing that scene. Just the tearing of the face mm-hmm. to like oh god it was. I mean, there's a lot of, I remember when we were watching that, uh, Eric, Caleb, and I watched it together, there were times where I had to look away from that screen because it was just, it was like a punch in the gut with how gory and how like visceral it, it was at times. And maybe that's not what some people are looking for. And I don't think I'm necessarily looking for that. But if you are looking for that, then this movie might be your favorite movie of the year. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Another good horror film, uh, you know, is- mm-hmm. A lot of good horrors this year, so. I, that, yeah, it came I, on, it came pretty high on my list too. <laughs> Thirteen, so. I mean, I know there was people that were critical of 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 Brandon Cron uh, Brandon Cronenberg because they felt like it was too similar to his mm-hmm. father's work and that he wasn't, you know, you know, forming his own path. I, I was I was reading a lot about the film after we we watched it, but I don't know, man. It for for this being your second film. And the the I think the reputation that has to be upheld considering yeah, I who your father is. I think the brilliant like approach and just you know you have to you know stay true to the Kronberg name in some regard because people are going to go in people yeah. are going to go in with some sort of you know anticipation. I've heard I haven't seen his first film Antiviral or something. I have not. Um, but I've heard it's kind of in the same um, wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, I'm and looking forward you know to what? seeing how he can. Yeah, he's young and he's probably got many, many more movies coming in the future. Exactly. David hasn't made a movie in years, so I mean, at least Brandon's picking up the slack. (laughs) He's filming. What's David's last uh, one? Um, uh, Maps of the Stars. stars? Yeah, Yeah, that was all right. Yeah. Yeah, and Cosmopolis. (laughs) Well, I enjoyed Cosmopolis. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to uh, to number six, uh, almost in the top five. Sam, would you like to introduce our number six film? I would. Uh, perhaps the most controversial film on here, not for its inclusion, but just the variety of critical and, I guess, other Maybe for takes. its inclusion. Who knows? <laughs> perhaps. Um, but like many of this director's films, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Any Things, uh, came in at number one on my list, came in lower on other people's lists. Um, Who would have thought that a... Caleb and I would be lowest on this movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> real pain. Who would have predicted that? Yeah, that's actually. Um, it's a film whose plot is hard to describe. Um, basically, there's a woman who is introducing her boyfriend to her parents for the first time, but at the same time wants to break up with him and is also talking about art and literature a lot. Um, it's hard to describe. There's 
Charlie Kaufman definitely asks way more questions than he ever answers and just kind of leaves things ambiguous, which I think is why it is such a controversial film because either you feel like you found answers to those questions while others didn't or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You are satisfied with not knowing answers while others mm-hmm. aren't. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are. I mean, no, I... Nail... Oh, go ahead, Eric. You go. I mean... I think we litigated this pretty extensively on the podcast. Does Caleb, does Caleb have any empathy? <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's a top, to. top podcast yeah. moment of 2020. I got accused of having no empathy because I didn't like this movie. Do you guys know what happens? Like, have you guys watched like explanation videos? And um, I, I came up thing. with my like, own explanation. I think but to I didn't me, watch any other videos. that makes the most, like, I guess, uh, Anomaly so doesn't really, but I guess my main other reference point is Synecdoche. And this movie to me has like, it not it, obviously it won't, doesn't totally make sense afterwards, but I think the generally agreed upon explanation for it sort of fits it in almost too, like too neatly for me. And the way I, I feel like I like Kaufman, the bigger he goes. And wait, the wait, more wait, you have to explain than, what the general accepted take is. Okay, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the general explanation for those of you, I hope you've seen this movie already because I'm about to ruin it, is <laughs> that um, the main character played by, um, played Jesse, by Jesse Buckley, Buckley is, um, is essentially a figment of Jesse Plumsy's character, Jake's imagination. And Jake is actually this, um, actually this, school, ja- this school janitor. Um, but in a way that almost ties up the movie too neatly for me. I feel like this is a movie where like all the layers mm. fold in on themselves, like so they get smaller, whereas Synecdoche is something that's bigger and bigger. And I, th- I think the effect was a lot less for me in that mm. respect. But I say... will say this is also oh, a movie okay. where afterwards, like thinking about like Jake after watching the movie made me feel more emotion than actually I felt watching it. So maybe I need mm. to give it another go. But I think what I still said, what I said in the last podcast regarding um it not really being about character regarding it feeling small and small and feeling like it's almost neater than other coffee movies still stands i think what i'll say is that the reason why i liked i'm thinking of ending things a lot and even prefer it to synecdoche is because of the fact that it is i know i know um that it feels smaller and it feels more personal to me um, yeah. I like I like the folding in on itself rather than the folding out into a bigger picture. And I'm not trying to diss Synecdoche by saying it doesn't feel personal because I think it can. But I think personally, when I watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things, what I felt was that I was getting this, it was folding into itself like I was folding into my own mind, analyzing my mm-hmm. own thought patterns, thinking about how yeah. I have done similar things as Jake, you know, the overall, the idea that he's basically imagining this life he could have had with a person he never even really talked to. If that's the explanation you're going to, you know, take for the movie or what you take for it, whatever it be, I actually enjoyed the fact that it folded in on itself because for that, it made me feel as though it was more personal than something like Tenecticke, which felt more universal than personal. Yeah. And that's just my- I was, just, the, I was also a fan of the scale. Um, and it definitely felt for me that it was uh, Charlie Kaufman. Like, I mean, all of his movies are horror movies to some extent, but this is, I think his most 
you know, horror oriented film, like this isolated yeah. setting, um, you know, kind of like dementia in the family or people, some, some, some weird uh, mental illnesses or, or, you know, it's just, um, it's a lot of pent up um, like frustration. And I, I definitely really, I agree with Sam. I mean, uh, I agree with Zachary in that, um, like that whole opening of them in the car um, and it's like 30 minutes long. Like, I think that is, you know, it perfectly prepares you for just how um, kind of small this movie is. Um, and I really uh, was a fan of um, that, like the car scene. And um, I, I don't know, I wasn't as with it as it, as it went along. And after I did, um, you know, it's a little research as to what I, exactly happened. Um, but I still really, I, it, it made me want to watch it again, too. Um, and that's not something I can say for many movies this year. My problem was not with the scale. I think small scale, no problem, but I don't think it was very personal, uh, at least not compared to his other movies. I think Kaufman really falls in love with the idea of uh, dissecting a mind, but just with the idea of it. And there are so many places to go when you are just uh, sitting at the starting point of, ooh, let's go inside somebody's mind. And then he branches out in all, not all, but in so many of those different directions to the point where it just loses focus. And I don't think it, it settles on something specific enough to for me uh, to be able to consider it a very personal, to give me something to connect to. So I think if you want something small and personal and Kaufman, uh, check out Anomalisa. Oh, uh, fuck yeah. Which, that's uh, his best film, better than Synecdoche. more claustrophobic than this one too. <laughs> yeah, I but think. I think that is very uh, personal and focused. That's a scary movie. It's, it's focused and definitely scary. Uh, but in a in a really in a way that I think you can really sink your emotions into. Okay, not to get too psychoanalytical here, but uh oh, are you about to accuse one of us of not having empathy? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm gonna come close. Too um, much empathy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do wonder if, because obviously I agree that the, the film didn't really ever focus on anything; it just kind of went around. I feel like it circled an idea more than it mm -hmm. honed in on one. But also, if you're trying, as he obviously was, to really visually, audio-visually portray the human mind, uh, perhaps not focusing on anything is more accurate than I did, not. I kind of piggybacking off of what you say, I really like the continuity errors um, that they kind of sprinkled throughout this. And I, I'm really a fan of when films really try and subvert what a film is. Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking of ending things was like, a quintessential subversion um yeah the the whole scattered mind and i just felt it, it worked so well yeah. the one thing i'll say is this is what i will give synecdoche over um i'm thinking of any things is that i felt like kaufman enjoyed writing synecdoche much more i just felt like or making it like i just felt like synecdoche yeah. felt more personal to mm -hmm. him and i felt as though it showed in more of the writing i i, I enjoyed i'm thinking of any things more personally but I have to say that I can also see why so many people struggled with this film compared to other Kaufman films. 
and I think maybe I, oh, sorry. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I, I, I think I just understand a little bit more of what the opposing kind of side of that is. I think I talked about this a bit on the podcast, but I think just the general conceit of going at something very Kaufman through a literary adaptation and all these layers of abstraction. In in this case, going through Jesse Plemons's character to create this figment of an imagination and going through this. It feels to me like a roundabout way of Charlie Kaufman finding what he personally connects to in this book, as opposed to something like Synecdoche, which has this like, just like one less layer of distance between all the things that Kaufman cares about and the material. And in that sense, this movie, I, I enjoyed watching it, but the, the overall experience isn't nearly as overwhelming as mm-hmm. Anomalisa or Synecdoche. He has some pretty, you know, high expectations or I feel like just his his name you know he's the fucking yeah. best writer out there today so I mean and I even think... adapt the orchid thief you know <laughs> <laughs> to go back to to what Sam brought up maybe that was his intention to you know demonstrate the the scattered nature of the human mind and if that was then perhaps he succeeded but I don't think that made for a very good movie, mm-hmm. even even if he achieved yeah. his goal. I also really uh, related to the, uh, or I, I, I was um, personally affected by like the family stuff at the beginning and just um, kind of like how, uh, you know, Tony Collette and um, who is the other actor? David Dulles. Um, yeah, they, I, David, yeah, they, I thought they were just amazing. Like I totally saw, you know, my parents, my grandparents, like, everyone um in them you know it's it somehow like they they encaptured a lot of um that kind of family like forced family fun if you guys know that <laughs> yeah all right well i hate to cut this off but uh we got to get into our top five we are uh, we got five more uh very strong films to go to so at uh, coming in at number five eric would you like to introduce the next film yeah, our number five movie is Bad Education, directed by Corey Finley. Um, this is a movie that I think from here in Toronto, but released this year on HBO Max only. <clears throat> and it tells the story of, I think it's the greatest um, school embezzlement scandal of all time. And in the movie, Hugh Jackman, in I think one of my favorite performances of his, right next to The Prestige, um, plays Frank Tassoni. And he is the superintendent of... Um, the school district of which includes this high school named Roslyn High School, which has been um, named the number four high school in the country. And he is essentially this charismatic superintendent who is essentially known for being the stand-up all-around great citizen who has lifted the housing prices and the entire community through his uh, great work as an educator. But uh, the story behind that is that he and his assistant superintendent Pamela Gluckin, who's played by Allison Janney, who's also great, uh, have been embezzling money off the top for um, the past however many years they've been working, totaling up to, I think the total is like something like $11 million. And the movie is about essentially their downfall is Hugh Jackman tells a student to not write a puff piece on the administration, but to write a critical paper, the critical paper in the school newspaper, and it slowly brings upon their downfall. Um, It's very stylistically shot, uh, but I think more so it's just like a breakneck script, very efficient. 
and features two great performances that I think really, really highlight this sense of, I don't know, this, they, they really highlight the sense of delusion within um, Janny and Jackman's characters that I think really spoke to me and are mm-hmm. very, he very was, sad. He was definitely my favorite part, Hugh Jackman. Um, I remember watching it and like thinking he was just um, like, you know, he was like this kind of perfect guy, but you, you mm-hmm. definitely um, kind of sense that there was just something like, you know, secretive yeah. or something. I, this, yeah, yeah. And I think he did like a fantastic job of um, like just playing that like type of person. Like, I feel like I know like the type of teacher <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know, he plays. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, 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 he probably won't get some awards recognition, but I do think he should. I think it's, I think it's mainly under Emmys. So mm. oh, yeah. I think he might've gotten sense. nominated, but I, I, like I, the movie won, movie won an Emmy. Yeah, I won the Emmy for best TV movie. Gotcha. I will say this is definitely the most surprising film of the year for me. Uh, to take something that is like a scandal that not only isn't like that interesting, but is largely just based on like numbers and behind the scenes, like credit card swipes. To take that and to make it not only cinematic, but something incredibly character driven, I just thought was super impressive. Like to yeah. even make it remotely interesting, mm-hmm. but not not only to make it remotely interesting, but to make it something like one of my favorite films of the year. I was. It's one of the most entertaining movies mm-hmm. I've seen. All it's, year. it's yeah, yeah. Corey Finley. It's, like, it's, a, it's like a thriller. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I love crazy. the way it's, it's shot and edited. And um, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's just a great film all around, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I was like pretty devastated when he gets <laughs> like he, I like he's obviously like a bad person, but when he gets caught in the end after he tries to mm-hmm. run away to New Mexico, like I was I was pretty devastated. And then his final like delusion of thinking that he can still get Rosalind to the best yeah. high school in the country, I yeah. it's incredibly effective. You know, it reminded me of Pedro Pascal's character in Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah, sort of this person bit. who's trying to like <laughs> convince himself. Please, everybody, yeah, like, I'm gonna be number one. Like I can do so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to number four. <laughs> Caleb? Number four, we have Dick Johnson is dead. Uh, in this documentary, Kirsten Johnson uh, follows her father, Dick Johnson, as he starts to decline. Uh, suffering from dementia. Uh, This is, speaking of personal, as we have been throughout, I think this is one of the most personal films of the year by nature. And in really creative ways, Kirsten Johnson uh, brings you into uh, her family and how they're trying to preserve uh, Dick Johnson and create a, a lasting memory while at the same time enjoying the, the final few years uh, of his life. Uh, there are some really uh, exciting scenes where they enact Dick Johnson's death, uh, fictionally, uh, of course. Uh, there are some, some scenes in some created heaven uh, there's a, there's a false funeral and then there's also just more standard documentary, uh, uh, interviews and, and conversations. But overall, I found it incredibly 
uh, emotional. And I think it's easy for anybody to put their own parent in in Dick Johnson's shoes uh, from the perspective of Kirsten Johnson and imagine uh, this situation playing out for them, uh, which makes it especially poignant. You know, I'm going to seem like such a hater. Um, we've already had a podcast episode about this. This was not, um, this wasn't even in my top 10 personally. Um, and, I, and I didn't have many movies. Um, I, and I think it's like, I, I recognize that this is, a, is very personal and, and very, it's just good, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just not ready to grapple with it. Maybe I'm, maybe it's just on a personal note. I'm maybe I almost felt like it was too personal in some ways. I think I mentioned this when we originally did the episode that I felt like sometimes I was, I was spying on something that I shouldn't be. And that at other moments I felt like people were being not taken advantage of, but tricked in some way. And, and, and I don't mean it in such a malicious way. Cause I don't think of it in that sense, but I, I, I think I probably, you know, again, I don't know how Sam and or if Sam and Nick have seen this and how they feel, but I know of the three of us, uh, me, Eric and Caleb, that I was the lowest on this film just because I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just not ready to grapple with, with that idea yet, but uh, you know, I still recognize uh, how, how good it is. We'll say yeah, a lot of I good have things. Seen this. Um, it's amazing. Um, and also, I mean, like, I feel like this film is one that can be very off-putting to some, just because it feels like Johnson didn't, I don't think she even really knew what it was going to be when she started. I think she just kind of said, I'm gonna make a film about my father and about death. And that idea just changed for her so many times over the course of her making the film. Like, I think it started out, the death scenes were supposed to be much more impactful and important and those just kind of lost focus. I think, I don't know, she just changed her ideas of what it meant to her as her father went through this process. And I can see how that can be incredibly off-putting, but also I thought, to me, it was quite powerful because it just kind of, I don't know. It, it showed all the ways we grapple with death, but also how little we know what to do or understand or how, like how early in the process we think it's going to go compared to how late in the process we think it's going to go. So I just found that incredibly captivating. Yeah, the quote that sticks out to me is that I think she describes it as like, here's, I have the quote in front of me. It's the idea was that there's the present in which he's alive. There's the future, he's dead. And then there's a, mov- there's a moment when those two things meet. And that's a truly a documentary moment when something unexpected will happen. And I feel like that's a, like a concept that's mostly generally like contained to narrative filmmaking. And I, I think it's incredibly rare and in, in turn, like incredibly powerful to see that translated in, into a documentary like this. Um, I think what really gets translated is Kirsten Johnson's absolute love for her father and her father's love for her and the idea that this movie is just, I mean, this movie is just such a gift um, to everyone involved to herself, but also I think more than, more than anything to her father. I, I, it's, it's, the, it's like a type of movie where I just sort of get choked up where I just like, just like thinking about just how much love went into making this movie um, and how much, I don't know how much care goes into it. Like speaking about, 
a lot of the ethical issues we discussed, like that's something that's very much so grappled with within the movie without ever taking the focus away from Dick Johnson and all of the lives he's touched and using essentially the magic of movie making and the power of movies to interrogate death in um, like in a documentary, in a documentary format. I will right, say yeah. um, also, oh, ahead, Sam. Oh, sorry. Um, just on a more personal note, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm a little young to truly understand the feelings that Johnson or even her father were going through. But my mom watched this movie after about in like 2009, her father died of Alzheimer's. And when I spoke to her about it, she could she could barely even like talk about it. Like she clearly resonated with a lot in its values. And I think it's just not something that's like that process, however like unglorified, is just not talked about a lot in like media. Um, unless it's like some, you know, bang bang kind of sudden unexpected. Or like a biopic or something. Like yeah. A- but just like the, yeah, the loss of like a loved one who is special because they are them, but not special in terms of like the, uh, you know, overall discourse. It's just, I don't know. It, I, I could tell that at least for my mom, it was a truly It's like the idea of multiple deaths. Yeah. Like Dick Johnson, like once Dick Johnson like forgets who he is, that's like one death. That's like the real death before, yeah. before his body passes. All right, all right, I'll watch it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I am I'm in, I am interested to see what you would would think, Nick, just by hearing some yeah, of your other yeah. opinions. But uh it you know, it's I think everyone should watch it and I think people will will grapple with it in different ways. Um but it is still very powerful. All, all right. the letterbox stands are really big fans of yeah, Dick Johnson. That's true. So. That is true. It's um, a great doc here this year. There's been some great documentaries. Oh, well, I'm glad you said that because the number three film of the year. Uh, it's not really a documentary. Um, I guess it's like more <laughs> docufiction, right? <laughs> docufiction um, was uh, the number three movie of the year. Chloe, uh, Chloe, is it Zhao or Zhao? Zhao. The, Zhao. Just Zhao. Chloe Zhao's yeah. uh, Nomadland, which um, for me was just, oh my gosh, my, my, my second favorite movie of the year. And it <laughs> is... It's just amazing. I, I really need to rewatch this film. I still remember the feelings I had watching it the first time. Um, but essentially, the movie follows this 60-year-old woman named Fern who uh, embarks on this journey, uh, basically traveling around uh, the west of the United States, um, basically having lost a lot of things and a lot from her life from the Great Recession. She travels around in like an RV. Is it an R- It's like an RV, right? Yeah, her yeah. RV home, and she, you know, goes to these like events with these people who are who are nomads. And um, my favorite part of the film is how uh, cyclical it feel, feels. How how everything feels like it's just like round and round again. You know, she starts at one point in the movie by working at an Amazon, um, you know, warehouse making, you know barely any money but that's just one of the jobs she can do traveling around and then towards the end of the film it's her going back to that same job and you kind of follow her through the seasons and it's just a very the the film is aptly named not only in its description of you know 
people who are the modern nomads, but also in that the movie itself has you moving through, uh, moving through like you are a nomad as well. And it's just, it's just a beautiful film. I, 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 I can't speak more highly of it. I, I absolutely love the film. The acting is so real and raw. And the fact that it includes um, a handful of actual real people that, um, you know, have these real stories just makes it that more powerful. And Do you guys watch it on like a, a it's like a film, their virtual film festival? Yeah, we watched or, it in New York. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't use yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, was... I got a limited window to watch it, and it cut me off. No way. Oh, are you uh, serious? Like halfway through, or no, no? I had like ten minutes left, but still, oh, ten minutes dang. left. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> even worse. <laughs> that might be worse. That is definitely worse. Like, Eric, can you describe in detail what happens, please? <laughs> okay, okay. What happened was we finished. And then we had too many devices signed on to my Lincoln Center account. Lincoln Center, don't ban me. Um, and then, um, actually, I think we should leave this unsaid. <laughs> this is probably illegal. I heard it's getting a, like a release in February. Uh, that's what. Yeah, that's it awesome. had another limited virtual release, I think early December. But is it it's getting a theatrical release? Oh. Yeah, I think that's when it's... I mean, I think it's Best Picture Frontrunner right now. I need to see it. I mean, it, it deserves to be. It really does. Yeah. It's just such an amazing journey. I mean, I, I have never been so captivated by a film from start to finish personally. And, you know, this is just my type of movie, but it, it's just, God, I mean, seeing, seeing this woman go through not only anguish, but go through meeting some amazing people, traveling to some amazing places, and there's just so many memorable scenes, you know, the, 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 the scene where they're in that kind of group um, circle. Uh, what, what, what are they at? Like, are they at just like a meeting for like, I don't know. There's that guy who's like talks about living a nomad life. What it, I don't know what, what um, it was, what the I think that's just was like, a, or anything. like somewhere where they like all meet. Yeah. It, it was just, it, it was just powerful. I mean, you know, in the most cliche way I can describe it, it was just, you know, it, it really made you feel like you were you were there, like you were a nomad yourself. Um, and I, I I loved it. Yeah, I've never connected with the character more, I don't think. Like, I thought that as I was watching that. Like, I don't know, yeah, Francis Dormer for job. me just, like, is so good. Yeah. Like, um, and it's, like, so, so different good. from her normal. She's only, like, a, like, a hardened sort of, like, like, I don't, I don't know if this is weird to say, but, like, kind of masculine character. And this, she just, like, I don't know. She just gives such a nuanced performance that's so different from what she normally plays. I just, uh, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have to rewatch this movie again. I've been I've actually been dying to do it. Uh, yeah, but I know. I guess there's no way to do it right now. I'll have to wait till February. I'll be uh, eager. Hopefully, um, my yeah. I think McDormand's performance is amazing. It's so unobtrusive towards the. Um, towards the non-professional actors like you can like uh, like obviously she's this huge movie star but she never steals the show she's giving a performance while also genuinely connecting and listening and i think there's also an immediacy to the non-professional performances that bridge into documentary that is really effective within the narrative context um i think it also just gives does a great job at just giving francis mcdormand and the other nomads a sense of agency doesn't victimize them and it's beautiful i mean 
it like I, I love what Zach said about um, this being sort of like a cyclical a cyclical movie that's like very connected with like the earth and nature and it made me think of another movie that um, the three of us watched together which is Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven uh, both in the way that it photographs nature and the sort of reverent its reverence towards the American landscape but also in that movie which also has this sort of cyclical cycle of people traveling across the country finding work and it it just makes me think about um it just it, i don't know it just makes me think about um a line in the movie where um Frances McDormand is at her sister's house and her sister mentions that her nomadic experience is part of an american tradition and like that lake of days of heaven is just like so clearly there but also it goes even further back than that and i think that's just incredibly poignant and incredibly effective sounds like a three and a half to me <laughs> it was more like three a, and four and a half. <laughs> four and a half. I'll take a four and a half stars. All right, well, let's get into the final two. I'm so excited to talk about this next movie. You have no idea. Caleb, would you like to uh, give us a number two film of the year? I would love to. At number two, and suspiciously at number two, and not number one. <laughs> it should be very number one. suspicious. Uh, we have Shithouse. Shithouse uh, follows socially isolated college freshman Alex as he tries to make friends. And one night he decides, I'm going to be social and goes out to a party. Uh, Here he connects with his RA, Maggie, and they spend a lovely night together. But the next day, she pretends that she doesn't even know him. Can you believe that? And <laughs> I can't. this film is really split up into two halves. The first half when he's kind of breaking out of his shell and connecting. And then the second half where he doesn't really know what's going on and is grappling with realities of, of college uh, connection and relationships. There's also a, a great deal of time allotted to... Uh, his relationship with his family and how hard it is to leave family on your way to college and and really become your own person and how in order to uh, better yourself, you might just have to uh, let go a little bit of what's comfortable. Uh, This movie is dripping with authenticity. It's that rare breed of movie where Sometimes it's super painful to watch, but you truly do want to keep going uh, just because of of how real and incisive some of these college experiences are. Uh, I think this is one of the best written movies of the year. It's incredibly funny. Uh, The dialogue falls into that, that authentic category. And I think it's, it, it's a college movie that not only I think we need now, but I think something like this has been needed in the cinematic landscape for a long time because it's something more honest and grounded uh, that I think will allow a lot of other uh, young people who may feel like they're in similar positions to Alex to realize that things are going to be all right. I, I'm just glad uh, you guys finally watched it. I have to. I have three quick uh, things to say. 
Sorry. Okay, because ahead, I feel ahead. like other people love this movie more than go me, ahead. so I'm just going to get my comments out and then let go you guys ahead. gush. Um, first of all, I love this movie. I've, I've fought so hard with Eric about putting this number one because I refuse <laughs> to let the podcast with five college-aged... Um, well, not all white, but four white dudes put the college-aged white guy movie at the top spot. I could not let that happen. Um, but I do love this movie. Um, Second, the first thing I did after watching this, somewhat against the whole premise of the movie, is text my dad that he should watch it. Um, <laughs> of which, after they did, my mom called me and grilled me for about 45 minutes about how I was feeling. <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Um, this is such a Chris movie. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, Chris yeah. He watched it. it. They, they loved it. Um, I forgot what my third comment was. But yeah, you guys, I'm sure you guys all loved it. So you go ahead. I, I've been I've been screaming the, for you guys uh, to watch this for months, I'm, for like two Donna, months at Eric, least. I, when you when you recommended this and then I watched it, I have never been. I mean, like I I need to gush for a minute, like Sam just said, because I'm about to do it. This was my number one movie of the year, and first of all, gotta say, let's take I'm gonna take the movie aside for a second. The 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 guy, the the maker of this film, all the magic, Cooper. I don't know how to say his last name, Cooper Rafe. Cooper Rafe. Cooper Rafe. My God, I read, I, after I watched this movie, I read about eight different news articles about him and his journey through this. He literally, during spring break, wrote this film, read, uh, or filmed this film with his two friends. Um, the girl he was actually dating, or ended up dating in the movie, spoiler alert, he was actually dating for a period of time in real life. And they, I guess, I remember seeing that eventually they were just friends during the real filming of this movie. In, just a lot of interesting backstory, but you know, this guy had just recently graduated college and wrote a movie that he was always passionate about. And I, it, it can't be any more real than that. Like a young, young film and uh, uh, film student and writer who wrote something that I don't think can be beaten in terms of authenticity. I mean, I, I've never, I don't think there's a, a college film that is this authentic, maybe even too authentic sometimes. It's just, it's, it's real. I mean, I, this, this movie, you know, I don't know. I actually don't know. And I should know. I feel bad for uh, asking or just saying, I don't know what year in college uh, Nick and Sam are, but I know that Eric, Caleb and I, you know, we're, we're going to be, uh, we're juniors and, you know, this, this freshman year feeling for us two years ago, when I watched this film, I was so nostalgic and also so like, just kind of swept up and like, oh my gosh, this was me two years ago in some ways. And, and it was just, it felt so real. And I, it, wow. I mean, I mean, I'm not even gonna lie. I cried during this movie. I, you know, I'll put it out there. I'm gonna allow it. I cried during a lot of movies, so it's not a big, you know, praise. But I will just say, this movie was just—I don't know, man. It, it really. I know it's probably it fits my criteria of the of, the, of an indie film, but uh, it's just, it's it's just great. It's just great, and it's it's very authentic, as Caleb said. This this snuck up. I didn't I I didn't see Shit House, but. Um... I feel like I didn't hear anything about this movie until like the last three weeks of 2020. Um, mm -hmm. And like, I don't know why, because I have heard, you know, exceptional things. I don't know if I've heard anyone that like really has had a burning passion of hatred to it. And I mean, it sounds like, like 
Um, I, it, anyone who's been to college, like, is just in their, like, you, they can relate, you know. And, it was a um, very, like, Gen Z mm-hmm. college movie. Um, I think probably, like, one of the first, like, really Yeah, I, don't, I was going to say, there's, no, there's not many yeah. Gen Z movies out there. Absolutely. I mean, I think Caleb puts a nail on the head. Like, like, this is a type of movie that we just don't see. This, I, this, this like, portrayal of college, not mm-hmm. as this, like, paradise of sex. Of women and, and, and yeah. Like, like I, I think the main movie I was thinking of that I, like, I sorry, I'm sorry to all the fans of it here. That I, hate <laughs> I know what's up. Everybody wants them. Like this is just <laughs> the exact opposite of that. Like this is just like such a real, messy and like authentic portrait uh-huh. of like how hard it can be to come into college. And but like the, I think the main thing is also just like that, like the idea that like freshmen in college are 18 year olds and 18 year olds are still kids, and it's willing to be frank about that. I think I I, I think it's I think it's amazing. Mm. And yeah, yeah I, I think that, uh, yeah, what's special about this, it's that it's strikingly vulnerable. And uh, yeah, as we've been talking about, that's not something that we're used to seeing out of college movies, uh, at least not to, to this degree in its honesty. And so while I don't think like this is a, a mirror of my freshman year experience, I think that's why I was so able to connect with it and and why I felt so moved by it because it is vulnerable and because it is so specific too Mm -hmm. so that even if the exact event did not happen to you you can easily visualize yourself in it or find a correlate in your memory uh it's it's very singular which is shocking for a college movie where if you look at the bare bones plot it's 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 guy meets girl and yeah before sunrise and then fall out of before sunrise in a (laughs) way like (laughs) yeah and and yet it feels like truly its own thing uh which Mm -hmm. i think is very special i like like i said i haven't seen it but uh the way you guys are describing it kind of reminds me of like uh like it feels like the 2020 book smart um or in the in the way that it's like similar but better gen z and kind of more (laughs) of an updated version of genre that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, should be, yeah. But I, I, I'm still foaming at the mouth for shit house, so I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to um, Solo yeah. is back in stock. <laughs> no. uh, I mean, uh, I, I guess what I'll say just to end my little section on, on shit house <laughs> is that it's just, I mean, it, it's just inspiring to, to, to know the process behind the movie and how it makes it feel that much more real when you know that it, it was in, essentially in some aspect, I'm not going to say a true story, but it's written by someone who, you know, is not 50 years old. And, you know, it's by someone who, who's yeah. been in college recently, who can relate, who can really talk about that experience. And you don't see that a lot. And it's, yeah, that's what I got to say. What do you guys think of the ending? Yeah, that Which was the worst part, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I didn't hate Thanks it. With you yeah. I didn't hate it. It wasn't the best. It was nowhere near the best part of the movie, but I didn't hate it. Okay, yeah. That whole final section, I think, mm-hmm. was unnecessary. I, I will yeah, say, it, I the word that strikes me is unnecessary, but not bad. Like, I, yeah, it, I think it just kind of felt did like the, it could have ended the, ten minutes earlier. What's What's her name? The girlfriend, Maggie. Maggie. 
Maggie. Yeah, I think it just did Maggie kind of dirty. Like, I think it kind of, I don't know, kind of, like, upended her values and kind of made her the, uh, I don't know, like, the whole like rest the of the movie, like, yeah, it felt like, like, two characters who just have different ideals who are, like, working with each other. And then yeah. the end of the movie kind of made it seem like, oh, she just wasn't ready the whole time. So it kind of, I don't know, it devalidated her a bit, I thought. I, I, yeah, I can see that. I, I do think there's a little bit more to that. I think personally, I what I took away with it is that there was always that spark, but both people were not at a place in their life. I don't know. I think maybe I romanticized it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And that allows me to not necessarily have to suspend my my beliefs, but I can understand. I, I, I honestly would have rather left that to my mind than had it spelled out for me. So maybe the movie could have used a little trim at the end. And, but if that's, if that's my only personal negative, my only quarrel with this film, I'm, I'm okay with it. Fair. That's what I'll say. I heard it's got some good music in it too. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say it's my favorite, but it was good. I'm was not going to lie. I don't remember the music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say like, I, I remember a little bit. It wasn't like, you know, it was no Interstellar. Let me just say that. Mm-hmm. Let me put that on there, right? It wasn't that. <laughs> I had to sneak that movie in here. Uh, you want uh, right. Hans Zimmer to score Shithouse too? <laughs> the sequel. I wonder how many of these we're getting. Yeah. It's going to be like the Shit new American Pie. Before Shithouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Eric, would Better you like to... Better before Shithouse than after Shithouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, would you like to introduce us the uh, number oh, one would movie I? of 2020? Um, yeah, the number one movie of 2020 is First Cow, directed by none other than Kelly Reichardt. Um, it's rigged. Uh, Kelly Reichardt, <laughs> as Caleb has already been saying, is probably my favorite working filmmaker right now. Um, and this movie is about um, two men. Uh, one of them is named Cookie Figowitz. Uh He is... Um, a Jewish man who was once a baker and is now uh, seeking his fortune out in the West. And the other is King Lu. And he is a Chinese immigrant, also in the Pacific Northwest, who I think is like on the run from the Russians at the beginning of the movie. Um, And the movie is about the two of them coming together as these sort of outsiders and forming this business venture where they make these things called oily cakes, which are sort of like donuts. And they sell them to all the townspeople um, but the, uh, the catch is they need milk to, uh, make their, make their oily cakes. So of course they have to steal the milk of the first cow in the territory, uh, <laughs> Evie, who is owned by, um, a British, a wealthy British man played by Toby Jones. And it's essentially about this business venture of theirs and the fallout of it. Um, I think, um, like other Kelly Reichardt movies, it's very process driven. It's very meticulous. Um, it's shot in four three, and um, it has. I don't know this this movie in particular has this very slow, calming pace to it that I find very comforting. Yet also does a lot of demythologizing, even in the way it shows like every single step that Cookie is making, to, Cookie is doing to bake. Um, to bake his oily cakes and the uh, clafu tea that he makes near the uh, end of the second act of the film. Um, but at the same time, it's, I think, a really moving story, a really moving portrait of just like male friendship, especially male friendship that rests outside the bounds of what traditional masculinity is, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of their actions as well as in like 
as these two people as both as racial outsiders. And I think even added on to that, it's sort of this haunting ghost story about exploitation that's inherent within like our American system and how like how this exploitation and greed and tragedy and all these stories that have come of it are sort of the foundation of the world that we live in today. And they're just right underneath our feet. Um, yeah. I it's... absolutely love this movie. My favorite movie of the year. Such a timeless story too, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, like this thing could have been made, you know, decades ago and you would have not even batted an eye, so. I wanna just say one thing. Um... And that is, I had to admit something to both Eric and Caleb that I think they already know. And that is... Oh, we know, Zach. We watched, <laughs> we watched this film together in theaters. It was one of the last ones we ever watched. The um, last movie I saw in theaters. Yeah, the I think it was, it was the last movie I saw in theaters. And <laughs> to end it, um, not even to end it, in the middle of the film, during the night scene, which as, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just repeat what Eric said. This film was very calming. Um, and... <laughs> during the night scene of this film was the first time I have ever fallen, fallen asleep in a movie theater. <laughs> and I, I passed out for a good three, four minutes, woke up, had no idea what I had missed. And I, I just like, I didn't know if they had noticed. I didn't know. Maybe, maybe I was snoring a little bit. This is not a diss in the movie. It's just a, if anything, it furthers Eric's review of it being so atmospheric and calming that it like rocked me like a baby to sleep. Yeah. That's all I got to say. And it is I, the I ultimate pleasant movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. I will rewatch nice film. core, cabin core, all, all the cores. <laughs> it really is, dude. It really was. I was just like, I felt like the movie was cradling me like a small child. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I drifted into that, into that sweet, sweet two minute yeah. nap. It, but, it's uh, so warm. Like they're, they're, the whole, like there's so many, you know, you could tell they're freezing in the movie or, I mean, there's, it's not it's not really a warm movie but like the way it makes you feel is just it's like nice and warm inside i agree with that i think it's also just a really interesting when whenever movies um have plots that don't revolve around sex or murder um <laughs> and it's really not as often you know as is like you really think about it um but i just seeing you know something that's just like someone trying to milk a cow like that's the whole thing, like that. I love that stuff. So, I just find so much Kelly Reichert's moving mesmerizing. Yeah, like mm-hmm. she has such a reverence for just like the small moments that normally get cut off in movies. Like um, in this case, like I talked about before, every single step of a cloth of tea, or just there will be shots of them cleaning this house, and it goes back to her other like in meets mm-hmm. cut off, like what it takes to get water, what it takes to clean clothing, like. It's at one, it's at once it makes like what's like mythological in our heads, like about the past, it makes it incredibly real and it's hypnotizing and inviting, but it's also like a lot less glamorous than I think yeah. what it's made out to be, especially, especially in the fallout of this movie. Yeah. And not even just like those forgotten moments. She focuses so much on like forgotten people. That's really nice. I think it's, it's like similar to No Bad Land where it just like focuses on those people who are normally glossed over because they're not having sex they're not murdering people but like people who are you know just like on the on the who society just does not want around even right like you know yeah if you were to describe this film to like an average movie watcher they would just you know conk the fuck out 
Yeah. Um, which <laughs> what are you saying? Are you sad. saying I'm an average yeah. movie watcher? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah. Nick, what are you trying I to say? I totally forgot about that. <laughs> but I mean, even when it came out, I remember hearing a lot of people like, right? I remember like the the Amazon like rating out of five was like two out of five, and I was like, come on, like people just Kelly deserves have, so much better. Yeah, exactly. She <laughs> deserves so much better than what like what we like the uh, cinema audiences today honestly but i'm just endlessly fascinated by her um like by her films about like i don't know male friendship like this one and old joy really do it for me they mm. really do it for me it's something that you just never see i yeah and it's incredibly refreshing eric just yeah you. male characters who aren't hyper masculine mm-hmm. eric for you yeah. i'm gonna rewatch this movie i'm gonna stay awake you have I'm to. You have I, I, this movie this is, is pretty low on my rankings, but I think I didn't do it justice. It's not that I, I think didn't this enjoy movie it, Lovers Rock. But only I need, ones I, I watched to, twice. I need to give it more attention. I need to. I need to give it the attention it deserves out of, out of me. It That's goes. So, it goes do. even better on. It goes even better on a second time. I really love the camera movements and just how mm-hmm. slow and she just. You can tell she is in no rush. You know to <laughs> to shoot so this patient. and yeah. It, I I. It's hard to. I, I like. It's so some of the pans and some of the tilts are just so slow. I'm just like, how do you even have that steady of a hand? Like, it's impossible. Wow. Patience is a good word to describe yeah. this movie. That's what I will say. It, it is a very patient film, and I think you know. I think that's why I can see why Eric really likes that. Why it's our number one consensus. Why it's our number one. I don't know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, don't know. I showed like, you the numbers. <laughs> there, there might have been a little... Consensus um, from the three of you guys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a little fidgeting, little fidgeting in those numbers is what I want to say. Um, no. I, 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 think it, I think it deserves. I think... Um, I hope it... You know, do you think it's going to get any recognition? I, I don't know what it's... Mm, what, what, no, what I'm it praying. I'm praying, but it's a long time. <laughs> I'm hoping that adapted screenplay... Time. I hope you okay, can get yeah, maybe a screenplay. Screen yeah. A video That's on demand releasing it March is just not gonna, not gonna do it. Yeah. It also yeah. is just, it, you know, it definitely holds a spot for being, you know, for a, a lot of people, maybe, maybe not a lot, but at least for us, you know, the last, the last movie we've seen in the movie theater. So it's, uh, True. yeah, I definitely, I kind of would, I would, I would love to be back in the movie theater watching First Cow right now. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> Well, the quote, I, I think this famous is famous quote by me. Kelly doesn't miss. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, Kelly does not miss. miss. I need, I need uh, to watch more. <laughs> I need to watch more of her films. Um, I have yeah, not. 360 no scope. Kelly Reinhardt. <laughs> 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 well, guys, I think that's a, I think it's a pretty good top 10 list for 2020. You know, it's funny. Um, you mentioned Sam. I think it, I think it was Sam. You mentioned uh, that, or maybe it was Nick. <laughs> I honestly, I, I'm, my memory is really bad. That first cow in Nomadland, it was definitely Sam. Have yeah, that, Sam. you know, for, forgotten people. You know, it's funny how like almost like there's a lot of the, even our top small four. Small X is the same thing. You know, you could argue our top four consensus is about things that we don't talk about a lot. You know, Dick Johnson's Dead is about people, you know, just an average person, you know, who's going through something that a lot of people go through that doesn't get talked about in this sense a lot, you know, Nomadland, like you said, and even Shithouse, you know, sure that's ma- more mainstream of, you know, no one forgets about college students, but it's, it's talked about in a different, through a different lens. And I, I think that maybe, maybe those movies relate to us more in 2020 than ever before. But uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't argue with, with how, how good that top 10 looks. 
I gotta say, you guys have a pretty solid list, you know. Yeah, I, you, well, you covered a lot of bases. It's our list, so. guys. It's our list, uh, <laughs> and and because of that, I think I think it turned out into a pretty good one. So, uh, you know, any final thoughts, Eric or Caleb, Sam or Nick? Any any final I'm thoughts? I'm just glad we got Sam and Nick in here. I yeah, I'm, I feel I'm like I've been looking for awesome to be on. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great, great just to talk about movies. I'm glad Nick got some movies that I hadn't heard of before because now I'm excited to check them out. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the music to my ears, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> was going, I was like, I was on Letterboxd scrolling, like, at <laughs> So I was like, oh, wow, you really like that movie, huh? And like, so I was like taking everything <laughs> at his word. So. Hey, I have some I, hot uh, takes too. So, so just go in with, tread with caution. Well, I'm going to have to check out your list. Uh, do you guys want to, do you guys, Sam and Nick, do you guys want to shout out your letterbox r- real quick? I don't know oh, if you guys want hell to. Hell yeah. <laughs> follow me. Uh, I'm a, uh, follow me at uh, Nick UJ, Nick Hudge. Um, yeah. All one word. And I see K U J. Give me a follow. Uh, I post some good reviews, some really bad reviews too. So yeah. En- enjoy my letterbox. Uh, Sam? I'm Sam Leffler. Uh, my username is not John Phillips because I'm indeed not John Phillips. <laughs> Uh, that's John with an H. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Got Zach rolling. That's actually great. That's the, that's a great way to end the podcast on that note. Well, Sam and Nick, thank you guys very much for joining us Thanks and for sending us off 2020. Yeah, so um, I hope we can have you guys back on in the future. Hopefully, maybe in better circumstances with a lot more films, uh, maybe next year. So, uh, thank you guys, and uh, with that. We'll see you next time.